Well, good morning, Grace. Here's the thing. It's going to happen. There is nothing you or I can do about it. It's inevitable. I have tried my best to keep it at bay, but it's just not working. I'm turning 40 this fall. I know. It's hard to believe with such youth in my eyes, right? Okay. Well, I know it's a little bit cliche, but there have been moments this summer and this year as I uh, approach that number that have me thinking about life in maybe some different ways. Now, no worries. I don't foresee any major midlife crisis is coming on and I, I don't have the money for a sports car, so I feel like we're good there. Okay. But there are these seasons or these moments in your life where they, maybe you take a pause and you open your eyes or you change your perspective in some different ways. And I'm certainly going through one of those right now, right? I start to think things like this. Well, Robert, if you're lucky to get 80-ish years, if you're lucky, you're halfway over or more. How should I spend my what seems like more precious and fleeting time? What do I need to prioritize? Because I want to do, I want to spend my next season focused on the things that matter. And I'm thinking about these things because something happens when you imagine the end. All right, it begins to clarify things. You maybe have some goals out there in the horizon and you've got a shorter time to get there. So you start to put some things in place to reach those goals. And if you see the ends coming or you, you really see the ends coming, like you know it's coming soon, it really begins to clarify some things. That's why so many movies or, or uh, TV shows, when, when, a, when a character has this moment where they realize their end is coming, they, they alter the way they live and they, um, they begin to, to speak in different ways. They might even share some of these kind of famous last words because the end has a way of clarifying something that's really important, right? What would you say to those closest to you if you knew tomorrow was it? You wouldn't, you wouldn't spend time on the frivolous. You wouldn't talk about the game last night or your recipe for biscuits or brisket. You'd get right to the really, really important stuff. And so I find myself more and more each day wanting to listen to men and women, faithful men and women who are closer to the end of the road, closer to the finish line, and I want to learn from them. And it's this feeling or this atmosphere that I had as I was reading my, in my daily Bible reading a couple of months ago, and I found myself in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is one of the last letters Paul ever pens. He's, he knows it's coming to an end, and he knows it's coming very quickly. Paul's writing this letter to his, his dear friend Timothy, and he's, he's in prison in Rome awaiting his execution. It's kind of a farewell discourse or the famous last words of a spiritual father to someone who's behind him in the race. And so if you can imagine with me, right, Paul, the the aged, in some dark and dank dungeon in Rome, there's no escape but death. His own life efforts are over, and he wants to send Timothy this letter. Now, maybe you can resonate more with Paul, you know, maybe towards the end of your, your life or end of your days, and you want people to know some important things that you've learned in your life. But like most of us, I think we can resonate with, with Timothy and imagine a, a wiser, an older saint kind of imploring us or instructing us on the things that are really important. He's got some fatherly or mentor style advice. He's, he's spilled his life out. He's spent it well. And now he wants to make sure Timothy knows what's most important. And as I, as I read this letter a couple of months ago, I couldn't help but just notice how many things, how, how full of insights for me to build my life around, considering two things. One, just the the world and the cultural climate that we live in, it, it, it struck me as very timely. And two, the reality that my days are numbered. Some of us aren't gonna be here next summer. And that's, that's a sobering thought and one of the pitfalls of humanity is nobody ever thinks it's them. But what we have here is we have, we have Paul saying, look, I'm at the end of my road 
And I think it would be wise for you to imagine the end and look at some of these words and, and hear the message I have for you, Timothy, and how, how gracious uh, of God that this letter's been preserved for us and that we get to kind of eavesdrop in on this conversation from a couple thousand years ago. Because we're all Timothys, right, who can be reminded of what's important, what's not important, and how we should structure our lives accordingly. Because it's coming. The end is coming. It's inevitable. But there is something you can do about it. And so here's what we're going to do. For the next two weeks, we're going to be looking in the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to look at two different kind of word pictures or images or metaphors that Paul uses. You could, you could see them as maybe two desired visions of Timothy's future for the apostle or, or for, um, from the apostle Paul. And so, so famous last pictures, if you were. And so if you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to start in chapter 2 here in just a moment. Now, as you're turning there this morning, if you're turning there, it would be helpful for me to give you some of the, maybe the immediate context that precedes the passage we're going to read today. Again, all of this is in the, in the context of Paul's kind of final instructions to Timothy. And in chapter one, Paul gives Timothy a very heartfelt message about what's being entrusted to him and how he's proud of him. In chapter two, Paul instructs then Timothy to work diligently and reminds him that Christ is risen. And if you're identified with Christ, you're going to rise with him one day. And that's a rock solid and trustworthy foundation that you can build your life on. And then he, we come to the passage for today. And so let's read the whole thing together. And we're going to stumble into Paul's kind of first word picture, first kind of desired vision for Timothy's future. Here it is in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead to more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So as I was reading a couple of months ago, it was verse 15 that, that stopped me in my tracks. Uh, I've heard it before. I've read it before. I've, I've even heard messages about it, but that, that phrase just caused me to pause. It just hit me differently. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. So the first picture, the first vision of the future for, for Timothy, this first famous last picture, Paul wants Timothy, I want you to show up. I want you to show up at the end of your days as an approved worker, a, a no shame worker. I want you to be able to present yourself, do the best you can, Timothy, to present yourself as a craftswoman or craftsman of the faith and be approved. Now, that word approved there in the original languages has this idea of being counted worthy or passing scrutiny favorably. It's actually a term in some of the other literature of the time that's, that's used to describe the process at the end when a, when a precious metal is being refined. It's what's, it's what's left over and tested. It, it hasn't been found wanting. And so Paul's saying, look, Timothy, there's, there's two options of the kind of worker you can be. You can be the kind of worker that is uh, approved or no shame, right? Tried and true, passed the test. Or you can show up at that day as a worker who's maybe a little ashamed, didn't pass the test, missed the mark. And, and Paul's like, look, Timothy, I want you to show up. I want you to show up at the end of your days with, as, as a worker who has no cause for being ashamed when their work is being inspected at the end of their days. That's what I want for you, Timothy. 
Now, I'm not the handiest guy in the world, but I can get some things done. And, and last summer, during kind of the heights of COVID, uh, I put on my workman hat, okay? And like everyone else, it seemed, we, we did a home project. And by we, I mean me. Um, and by we decided, I mean my wife decided that we were going to change up our master bathroom. And I was happy to oblige because I like putting on my workman hat from every now and again. Now, every, like everything in our master bath besides the shower and tub, we ripped out and we, we redid. So here's, here's the before and after, right? Okay, so you get a picture of this. Now, I know, right? You might be thinking, Robert, great job. What a great workman you are. Your wife might even put these pictures up on Facebook and go, and you might start getting comments about how, wow, side gig, huh? Come do my bathroom. But what if you look closer? Here's what you don't see in those pictures. That hot water knob on the right-hand side sink, it's a little wobbly and loose. Screw got over-tightened and stripped a little bit, and now it's just got a little bit of wobble to it. If you walk into our master closet where the flooring is, the, the vinyl plank flooring right there near the door frame, there's a little cut and it's not quite flush. Now, you might not notice those things, but I go into that bathroom every day and there it is reminding me that you're not quite the workman you thought you were, Robert. There are times where I look back and go, man, I should have watched one more YouTube video. Maybe I shouldn't have been in such a rush towards the end of the project as I was getting more and more progressively frustrated. Maybe I should have called somebody who knew what they were doing and asked them for help. This kind of shoddy work wouldn't pass the inspection of a workman who knew what he was doing. Now, here's the thing. In the grand scheme of things, I'm really proud of my bathroom. That's why I showed it to you, right? Okay. But there are those what could have been moments, those what ifs, because I want to be a good workman. I want my work to stand out. And I think, I think deep in my heart, and I think probably deep in your heart, is this desire to be approved, right? If we think about our lives, how, how many decisions, check that, how many poor decisions have been made in the hope and the search for approval from someone? Too many to count on my, on my end, for sure. And I can imagine Timothy reading this letter and looking to Paul and saying there's probably nothing more he wanted than the approval of his spiritual mentor and father in the faith, and Paul kind of flips the script on him and says, no, Timothy, I want you to have the approval of your heavenly father. I want you to be approved as a, as a minister and a kingdom worker. Paul has this grand vision for Timothy's future. And I hope that as you hear me today, maybe it even becomes a vision for your own life as well. Right? Imagine, just take a moment and imagine with me for a while, showing up at the end of your days with no reason to hang your head. No, no, no shame as an approved worker. No, not, not perfect, but approved. And so naturally my next question as I was reading this, this passage a couple of months ago was, okay, Paul, I get it. I get the picture. I, I get the desired vision. That, that sounds like the kind of finish line that I want to arrive at. How do I get there? How do I get there? What's the approved worker about? And as I read this passage, four things stuck out to me. Four things from this paragraph that Paul instructs Timothy to avoid or to do in his hopes of showing up at the end of his days as a no shame worker, right? This is what's important. This is, the, this is what isn't important. This is how you should spend your time. This is maybe how you should aim your life. And so I'm gonna list them all for you right now. And then we're gonna take a look at them individually as we work through the passage this morning. Here's the, here's the four things. He tells them to avoid useless and quarrelsome arguments. 
to handle God's word accurately, to avoid worldly and empty chatter, and then to not swerve from the truth. Don't swerve from the truth and end up on a list. All right, let's take a look at each of those individually. Verse 14 says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. The first clue we get about a a no shame workman is they avoid useless and quarrelsome arguments. Paul's implying there's a kind of arguing that's not doing any good. I don't think Paul's saying don't ever disagree with someone about how they're using words. There's there's certainly a time to, to disagree and to debate and maybe talk an issue out, but there's a quarrelsome way of going about that. This word in the quarrel about words in the original languages has this idea of wrestling or wrangling or waging war. There's a, there's a back and forthness to this thing and there's a quarrelsome spirit about you and the argument, right? I don't think Paul is arguing for a kind of isolationism that never engages with anyone, but he might be asking Timothy, how, how much? How much of your precious and fleeting time are you going to spend in endless arguments and is it helping? Is it doing you any good? It reminded me of a time when I was, a few years back, I was, I was in seminary and I was meeting with this guy and, and I was trying to invest in his life. He was a neighbor of mine and we, we were meeting weekly and uh, what happened was we, it kind of, our conversations uh, devolved really into a lot of back and forth and fighting and arguing and we were fighting just to fight and arguing just to argue. He was one of these debate guys. And I think what was happening was I was becoming kind of his pet Christian that he was kind of testing out all of his theories on. And I was happy to oblige because I, in me, is this desire to be right and to uh, argue back and get riled up. Now, I'm not saying that, that those conversations were useless. But, man, we went round and round about everything under the sun debating, arguing, getting, getting agitated even about all these kind of different social and cultural and political and spiritual topics. When really at the end of the day, we, we were really probably not gonna see eye to eye on most things because we were coming from a very different kind of perspective about what truth even was. And it wasn't all a waste and the relationship was, was good, but at some point I, I, I kind of had to humbly come to him and say, look, I'm, I'm wondering if this is helpful to you because I'm not feeling like this relationship, what we're doing is helpful to me. And I asked him like, maybe if we could change the nature of the relationship and keep meeting with one another because all this arguing just wasn't helping my younger and less immature spirit. Now I can imagine Paul saying to Timothy, right? There are some arguments going on in your community and they're having a negative effect. They're, they're not serving the hearers well. That phrase, they're actually leading to the ruin of the hearers in the scriptures. That word ruin there is catastrophe. That's the word. It's causing disaster. There's a lot of damage being left over after these arguments. Now, to be honest, I'm not really sure where the line is on this one. Okay, I've read this passage through and through. I've tried to study it well and study outside resources. But Paul seems to be implying to Timothy that there's, there's a kind of argument that, hey, I don't want you engaged in that kind of argument because it's not doing any good for those who are listening, right? That's the clue we get from the scriptures, right? There's probably a specific issue that Paul has in mind and Timothy probably knows exactly what Paul is talking about. And maybe the best way to summarize it is this. There, there's, a, there's a kind of quarreling or fighting about words and minutia and issues that doesn't help the hearers and it's not a good use of the precious time and energy of a workman who wants to show up at the end with no shame. Now, I could say, let's, let's meet and have a long discussion or debate about it, but that might be missing Paul's point completely, right? 
The first thing, the first thing an approved worker, a no shame worker, a craftswoman or craftsman of the faith does is they, they, don't, they avoid spending too much precious time quarreling, wrangling, fighting, arguing over words, minutiae words, especially those who only ruin hearers. It's not doing any spiritual good. Next on the list for the no shame worker, if you're, if you're gonna show up at the end like this, if this is a, a vision for your future, Verse 15 says this, do your best to present yourself as one, as to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. A no shame worker, a craftswoman or a craftsman of the faith is gonna learn how to handle the word of God accurately. They rightly handle it. That, that phrase there has this idea of, it literally means to be cut straight. It's this picture of a craftsman cutting a straight line or a, a farmer plowing a straight furrow or a brick mason whose bricks are not crooked. It's cut straight. In contrast, in verse 18, we're gonna see uh, those who swerve or deviate from the truth. Their, their rows aren't straight. And, and Paul's saying, Timothy, look, if you're gonna be a careful and diligent worker, you're gonna need to make sure your cuts are not off. And when it's time to build, it's, it's gonna look kind of like janky and crooked, like a worker who might not be able to walk into his bathroom or walk by his work without being reminded that it's not quite up to the standard. And so he, he says, look, rightly handle the word of truth. Handle it with care, stay on the straight path. Another way to say this is the opposite version of that, which is disapproval awaits those who mishandle the word of God especially those who have influence over others. And so Paul implores Timothy, look, you wanna be an approved worker? Is that your vision for the future? I hope it is, cut it straight. Learn to handle God's truth with the humility and the care that it deserves. Before you go spouting something, you might wanna be the kind of worker who measures twice and cuts once. Learn how to use your, use your precious time to learn how to feed yourself and feed others from the word of God. It won't be a waste and you won't regret it, Timothy. Then Paul instructs Timothy in verse 16. We see our third insight here. It says, look, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. The next mark of a no shame worker, according to Paul, kind of in his final days is they, they avoid worldly and empty chatter. Here's, here's some synonyms I found as I was studying this passage and other translations and, and study on this topic that these might help us. Irreverent babble, godless chatter, time-wasting talk, spiritually harmful talk, profane, empty utterances, nonsense, vain chatter, empty speech. Well, naturally, my first question was, okay, Paul, how do I know if it's irreverent babble? How do I know? Help me here. And the clue's in our passage, right? He gives it to us. He says, Paul says, it's the kind of talk that leads to more and more ungodliness. The kinds of things that make us less and less like Christ instead of more and more like Christ in all of our life. Right? We want our, our talk to be the kind of talk that draws people closer to God and to, into good relationship with others, brings them nearer to the truth instead of further away. Right? When I was younger, I could spend uh, hours, stay up late at night with my friends debating anything and everything under the sun. I still can. I still love a good conversation, especially around a, a campfire. Now, here's the thing, friends. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I'm, I'm really ashamed to confess to you how much time in my life I've spent discussing whether a hot dog is a sandwich. Okay. And, and even right now, you came up to me at the end of our service right here. I could be tempted to have another 45 minute conversation with you about it, especially if you disagree with my position. 
This is just the nature of our humanity. We're, we're prone to the, the frivolous and the useless and the emptiness. Or worse yet, Paul says, the kind of talk that leads to less and less Christ-likeness. And Paul says, look, there's some wisdom to be gained here, Timothy. Time's too precious to be caught up in irreverent babble and useless talk. Why? Because it's, it's leading to ungodliness. Paul's, Paul's really concerned that there's a kind of speech that's happening in Timothy's community that's leading to the wrong kind of growth. The wrong thing is growing in their lives. That's why he uses this image of gangrene. Now, we're not as familiar with that any these days as much as we used to be, but it's, it's kind of this infection, flesh-eating type of, type of thing, and, and unchecked, it will, it will kill you. And Paul says, look, there's this kind of empty and worldly talk that acts like a raging infection that's going to need some attention, otherwise it's going to get out of control. It spreads that quickly. And so Paul might say this, look, there's a kind of talk that's as dangerous to your spiritual health as blood poisoning to your body or sepsis from a wound. And you don't want this to be a characteristic of your life. And so Paul, maybe looking back on his own life, says, look, spend less time on empty, worldly conversation, chatter, this irreverent, irrelevant babble. And finally, Paul insists that Timothy not stray from the truth or the gospel. Verse 17 through the end of our passage today, reads like this. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says, look, an approved worker, a no shame worker is not going to swerve from the truth and end up on a list. Not going to veer off in the wrong direction. Friends, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed and a little haunted that Paul names names here. Now, everyone in Timothy's church and Timmy's community would have known exactly who he's talking about, and that was bad enough. But can you imagine for generations and generations, thousands and thousands of years, that your legacy is of Hymenaeus and Philetus who swerve from the truth and upset the faith of some? Right? At that time, they were kind of wrongly teaching that the resurrection of believers, this great hope we have, had already, had already happened. It was more of a spiritual event, not an actual physical thing. And Paul says, look, you, you know, that's not it. They're, they're distracting others. They're, they're swerving themselves, and they're upsetting the faith of some. And so, look, friends, if you want to, Timothy, if you want to show up approved, you don't want to be a part of that problem. You don't want to cause others to stumble and, and lead them astray. And Paul's contrasting what these two men are about and what he wants Timothy to be about. And how, how really haunting for us to consider that that's their legacy. And then he uses this last verse in this section today to quote the book of Numbers a couple of times and say, look, God's foundation is secure. He says, look, the Lord knows who are his, right? If he's got you, he's got you. And if you are one of his, then let's, let's live in a certain kind of way, right? Depart from iniquity, turn away from wickedness. This is the kind of foundation, Timothy, that you can build your life around, that God's got you, and now you're free to demonstrate in that demonstrate that in your life in such a way. So you want to be an approved worker, a craftsman, a craftswoman of the faith. Don't swerve. Don't, don't end up on this kind of list. Stay, stay, Timothy, on the narrow path that a disciple of Jesus is called to, and, and don't lead others astray and subvert the faith of others. So let's do a quick summary here of what we've seen so far. Paul, and some of his final words to Timothy, he gives him a de desired vision for his future, 
of being a no-shame worker, a, a craftswoman or a craftsman of the faith who shows up at the end with no reason to hang their head, no shame. And then he says, look, if you're going to get there, if you're going to get to that desired vision, these four things might help. Avoid useless and quarrelsome arguments. Learn how to handle the word of God accurately. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. And then don't swerve from the truth and end up on a list. And so men and women of grace, now that we've heard this, the question before us is, so what? Or what do we do to do about this? Or how might we apply some of these things to our actual real lives in the here and now? Right, we've heard Paul's vision for Timothy's life. Maybe you've signed on for that vision for your own life. I hope, it, I hope, I hope you have. If you have days left and you do, and if you're unsure of how many you have and you are, then let's consider these kind of four imperatives from Paul and ask ourselves some questions that might help us figure out how we might apply this to our lives in some real ways. All right, first up, are you quarreling? Are you a fighting kind of person? Would, would those closest to you, if you ask them for honest feedback, say, you spend too much time arguing? Paul might say, stop. What, what good is it doing? Is it really helping or is it leading to more ruin and disaster for those around? It's bad stewardship of your time and your energy. I can imagine Paul, if he lived in our day and age, he might say something like this, right? Are you really going to change their minds with your clever yet laced with sarcasm comment on Facebook? And how much time did you spend thinking that one up? How, how deep in the rabbit hole of political Twitter are you really gonna go down? Is it doing you any good? Maybe you're not even participating. Maybe you're just observing how men and women of our day and age talk to each other and argue and bicker and go back and forth with one another and name call and all these things. Is that doing you good? Is it helping? Is it serving others? Maybe consider how often you spend stewing over a word or consider the, if there's a lot of broken relationships in, in your wake over things that weren't the main thing. When I thought about this, I, I immediately went back to Pastor Matt's message we do every few years, right, on opinions, beliefs, convictions, where he says, look, we've got to become the kinds of people who care less and less about more and more and care more and more about less and less. We've got to learn how to keep the main things the main things and keep them in the right spot. Now, hear me clearly. There, there's a time to say this is true. I'm, I'm standing here in my convictions. But are you a quarrelsome person when you go about it? Are you riling yourself up in others? And is it serving those around you well? Coupled with that and very much related to that, Paul might ask you, is your life marked with irreverent, irrelevant babble? He might say, friends, you don't have time for this. Your, your time is running out. You've got a limited number of days. There's a guy who's sitting here at the end of his life and he might say, look, if you wanna know if your talk kind of fits in this category, you wanna, is it causing the right kind of growth? Maybe an application for you this week might be to just do a conversation audit. I'm thinking about doing this this week myself. Put on a note on your phone, a note card in your back pocket. And after each conversation, just have two columns. Did, did this conversation lead to more and more godliness or less and less godliness? Right? At the end of this conversation, was, was, was there more fear, more anxiety, more anger, more broken relationships, one party becoming less like Christ? Christ? 
Or did this conversation lead to more life-giving things and encouragement of each other and closer relationship and closer to the truth? Paul might say to you today, how are the conversations you're having? Are they serving your efforts to become more and more like Christ or is something else growing? Maybe like an infection. And the apostle Paul might ask you today, are you handling the word accurately? Have you learned to use the word to feed yourself and to feed others? There's, there's kind of this growing and alarming kind of lack of biblical knowledge in those who claim to be disciples of Jesus. It's, it's true. The stats and the surveys of, of the global church in general are bearing that out to be true. We're, we're losing this, friends. We're losing our ability to hear the messages of the world, the undercurrents of the world, the worldviews of our world and say, no, that's not, that's not true or that doesn't line up with the, the truth that the Lord has provided for those who love him. And I'm, I'm with you in this, friends. I really am. I'm, I'm surprised and often heartbroken about how often in my life, um, even after, as best I can tell, 30 plus years of trying to follow Jesus, I'm surprised at how often I find myself believing something or basing some action in my life on something that's not right and real and true. And Paul says, look, you want to show up as an approved worker. You do. You've got to learn to rightly handle the word of truth. And that's going to take time. And you're going to need to invest some resources in that. But the good news is we, we now have some time we can reallocate from those quarrelsome arguments and empty babble. So we got that going for us. Now, I know some of us are very intimidated by the word of God. Maybe you have less experience with it. Maybe you don't know where to start. It's, it's confusing sometimes. Maybe you're, you're humbled and a little maybe ashamed because you feel like you've been a believer for long enough and you should be at this level, but really you're, you're down here somewhere. I know but we can't let that keep us from trying. You gotta start the process somewhere. And the good news is in a church like this, there are so many men and women around us who would love to help you do that. And so your application might be to simply just find a group of people. Here's the two things. Find a group of people who are doing two things. They're trying to learn God's truth and they're trying to apply it to their lives. You need both of those. And they'll just learn God's truth just to learn it, but learn it and apply it. And the good news is here at Grace, there are loads of great options, especially coming up this fall or in the school year as our, as our ministries ramp back up. And so maybe your application might be to just find a group of people who will help you learn how to handle God's truth accurately and then apply it to your lives. And then finally, Apostle Paul might ask you, are you, are you swerving? Is, is there some area of your life where you're maybe ignoring God's clear instruction or maybe you're delaying obedience in some area, or maybe in an effort to be current or modern or in touch with the world around us, or maybe simply even out of ignorance or not knowing, we're swerving from the truth. We're, we're off in, in the ditch. The narrow past called that for a reason, it's hard. It's always been hard to, to love people and to hold on to what's right and real and true. That's why I've really appreciated this spring we went through First Peter and learned that we're aliens and strangers, right? We can set our expectations in the right spot, that we know we're on a very hard and yet temporary assignment in a foreign land. But Paul says, look, don't, don't end up swerving. Don't end up swerving from the truth on the side of the road. And certainly you don't want your name on the kind of list where your legacy is that you spent your days leading people astray rather than leading them to the path of life. 
And so, men and women of grace, those of you who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know if you have six months or 60 years, but the Apostle Paul and some of his final words, some of his last words with the end right before him, he says, friends, I want you to show up. I want you to do your best to show up as an approved worker, a craftswoman or a craftsman of the faith. And I want you to be able to stand up and present your work at the review of all reviews and say, I've got no reason to hang my head because you spent your time and your resources and your efforts on the things that, that really matter. And so next week, we're gonna, Paul's gonna continue his train of thought in this very same passage, and he's gonna give us another picture, another vision of a desired future for us to consider. And so we're gonna pick up right here where we left off, and I want you to show up next week because we're gonna continue to look at some of the Apostle Paul's kind of famous last words. But I think it would be wise for us right now to stop and take a moment and pray that the Lord would give us the wisdom and the courage to become the men and women who are unashamed workers, craftsmen and craftswomen of the faith who will have no reason to hang our heads on the day it all ends. Because here's the thing, it's coming. It's inevitable. It's gonna happen. But there is something you can do about it. And so let's pray towards that end. Faithful and gracious God, we come before you today with glad and grateful hearts. Glad to be hearing from your word and grateful to be doing that amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, God. God, would you grant us the grace we need not only to see this vision of our future as an approved worker, a, a no-shame worker, but also, God, would you grant us the grace we'll need to arrive at that kind of finish line at the end of our days. God, we, we, we confess to you that we don't have the ability to do this on our own, and so we're asking for your help, and we're asking for your wisdom, and we're asking for your strength to recognize where we need to maybe alter our lives based on your word this morning. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.